With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Last week on Truth and Justice, we heard from former FBI and Department of Defense interrogator Tim Clementi. Tim returned to the show to provide his analysis of Jesse Miss Kelly's interview where he confessed as well as implicated Damian Eccles and Jason Baldwin in the murders of Stevie Branch, Michael Moore, and Christopher Byers. As I mentioned on the Friday follow-up, my intention for today's episode was to move on to a new subject. But in the light of Tim Clementi's analysis, there is simply no way that we can just breeze past or move on from Miss Kelly's statements. At this point, we need to take a deeper dive and a closer look. Given the fact that Mike and I were in Nashville for CrimeCon over the weekend and into the early week, we decided that there was simply not enough time for us to research, write, record, and edit a different episode this week. Fortunately, while we were at CrimeCon, we recorded a live podcast that was originally intended to be used as our Friday follow-up. And since a lot of you had a lot of questions and comments about Tim's interview, we decided to move this live at CrimeCon episode to this week's main episode. So what you're about to hear is a live session recorded at CrimeCon with right around 250 people in the audience who were asking questions about everything from our season one case all the way up to our current case. We did have a little bit of trouble with the sound quality as the guy that was running the audio booth wasn't really keeping up on the sound levels very well, but I think that we got most of that corrected and I hope that all of you will find this interesting. Next week, we will be diving back into Jesse Miss Kelly's interviews and confessions. But as for this week, after a short break, we'll be coming to you live from CrimeCon. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Uncharted. The Uncharted supply company has designed a survival system to help you act quickly and confidently when the unexpected happens. Did you know that 95% of all survival situations are actually resolved in 72 hours? What you do in those first 72 hours can mean the difference between life and death. Curated by survival experts, the 72 survival system contains quality tools and instructions you need to survive in a hurricane, earthquake, or any emergency situation. And all the tools are housed in a roll-top backpack that's so airtight it can even be used as a flotation device. I received my 72 survival system a few weeks ago. For any of you that follow along on Snapchat or Instagram, you saw my unboxing of it. And I was amazed at the quality of the tools and the usefulness of everything packed into this small backpack. It's small enough that you can fit it in your trunk, put it in your basement. You can store this backpack anywhere where you may encounter a survival situation. The 72 has over 35 high quality tools organized with simple instructions. Each piece in the kit has been vetted by experts, including military, first responders, mountain guides, doctors, and more. And the insert not only organizes and color codes tools by use case, but also provides simple instructions. Organized by need, food and water, shelter and warmth, or first aid. It's lightweight, it can fit easily under your desk, in a closet, or in the back of a car. When you're on foot, the hip and sternum straps hold the backpack close to your body, and the 72 only weighs 11 and a half pounds. Times are changing, and the 72 is the product every home, office, and car in America should have. When an emergency arises, be a part of the solution, because the more prepared you are, the safer the world is. And right now, my listeners get $50 off at unchartedsupplyco.com when you use my code TRUTH at checkout. That's $50 off your survival system. All you got to do is use my code TRUTH at unchartedsupplyco.com for $50 off. How's everybody doing? So our goal is to use this episode as next week's Friday follow-up because we're very, very lazy. And we don't, 
we want to stay an extra day in Nashville when this is over. And so we don't want to have to record a Friday follow-up next week. So do you guys think that you could participate with us and help make this our Friday follow-up? Uh-huh. All right. That'll do. That'll do it, yeah. All right, so we're gonna. you guys are going to see how we record our Friday follow-up, sort of. Uh, because what's going to happen is we're going to chit-chat a little bit. We'll introduce you and tell you what we're going to be doing. And then Mike, instead of reading your emails and your tweets and your Facebook messages, is going to wander around the room with the microphone and call on you guys and let you ask the questions directly to me. These are the ground rules. There are no ground rules. You can ask me whatever you want. It doesn't matter if you're talking about our current Season 5 case, the West Memphis 3 case, uh, all the way back to Season 1 if you want to talk about how we do our jobs Whatever you want, this is all about you guys. It's a Q&A between you and us directly. And uh, Mike is terribly uncomfortable being on stage, so can I get... Terrible stage fright. It's terrible. (laughs) So can we get one more round of applause for Mike? (laughs) Thanks, Bob. So this is how we do it. When we're recording every episode, I leave little notes for Mike uh, on the recording because Mike does all the editing and makes it sound good. Uh, so we'll do something like this. Uh, Mike, go ahead and leave all that in as an intro, and then we're going to drop in the music, okay? You got it, man. So right here, we're going to leave 47 seconds of silence. Awesome. Got it? Yeah. That's what happens when we record. Uh, but seriously, leave those 47 seconds of silence. and welcome back to Truth and Justice. I'm your host, Bob Ruff, and this is my amazing co-host, Mr. Mike Bussing. How's it going? This is your Friday follow-up episode to no particular episode at all. We are coming to you live from CrimeCon, uh, typically. So this is what's happening. We're recording this on Friday at CrimeCon. We have a much larger than is deserved studio audience here in front of us. Uh, we're all very uncomfortable. Uh, but the episode for this week hasn't dropped yet, the interview with, with Tim Clementi. So maybe you guys can make some predictions, whatever you want to do. So we are going to do this live recording. We're going to let Mike wander around and ask you guys, the, or let you guys ask me directly the questions you want to ask. Just by a quick raise of hand so we know if this is going to work or not. Will you raise your hand if you think you got something you might want to ask us? Okay, we need more than three. More hands. Lie to me. Raise your hands. What if you want to just tell us how great Mike is? Raise your hand. Okay. Thank we, you need to, we need this to go on for a good 40 minutes. Okay, you guys can handle that? All right. And as we say, let's go ahead and get started, Mike. Let's do it, man. The microphone. you got to get yeah, closer was, to the pr- professional use. podcaster. Yeah, right. Do this for a living. <laughs> right. All right, let's go ahead and get started. And uh, you want to go ahead and get started with the question, start wandering around the room. So raise your hand if you have... Oh, we got a big hand over here, Mike. All right, I think I see it. going to be on that stage. Hold up one second. Mike, can you get that? That mic's got to be a little closer to her face. You can even let her hold it. May you deduce. I'm ready. Okay. Um, may I deduce from your pause in the current season that you have hit on something that current investigators are already working on? You may deduce anything you'd like to. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. And like I said, there's, there's a potential for a pause um, and this is so, I feel like it's so cloak and dagger and we're like building up this, uh, this big mystery and I hate doing that, but I also have to try to keep you guys informed. So our intention 
with the with this case, the the Forgotten Three, was to, to like we do every case, cover it till it's done. Uh, Mike and I plan for a, a solid year. All I can really tell you, and I swear I would tell you more if I could, is that that we we some things have happened. We've we've discovered some things. There have been developments that may cause us to have to pause the broadcast of the investigation. So we'll be continuing to do the work, but we won't be able to be talking about it on the podcast. And, and you can deduce whatever you want from that. Uh, there are, uh, thanks both of you for clapping. <laughs> there are uh, a lot of different reasons it can cause that. Um, it, like I said, as a good example, um, in Edward A's case and Jesse Eldridge's case, our season two and season three, we reached a point where we were able to get prosecutors to reopen. We had attorneys involved, and, and they came to an agreement and said, okay, we're going to start working on this case to try to bring it to a conclusion, but we need you to stop talking about it right now. So some, there's a lot, in Ed's case, for sure, you know, we were able to kind of spring on you guys, hey, Ed's going home. Can we talk about that for a minute? And that is how you transition away from an uncomfortable question. Uh, Mike, you want to bring it to this young lady here in the front row? Good question. What did you say your name was again? Caroline, Caroline from Nashville. I love, you. <laughs> love you too. <laughs> it's my wife right there. <laughs> Who are you? This is Fast Finger. You guys remember from the Friday follow-ups? Hmm, very good question. So for those of you who aren't familiar, how many of you by raise of, uh, show of hands have listened to the season two case? Most of you, a good, a good portion of you, okay. So um, there's different levels of the DNA t results coming back. So you know, the first thing that they'll do is they'll test, they'll do what's called quant testing to see if there is any DNA, viable DNA in any of the evidence that we've sent out. Once that comes back, um, they can screen it and see is, is it male or female, and then they did, so they keep narrowing that pool down to when they get to the point where they have something where they're trying to get a full profile from. And the DNA, Ed's DNA or the DNA in Ed's case was sent out in several different phases um, for costs. Now, another thing that has been pretty amazing is that the Truth and Justice listeners paid for all that DNA testing, and that's why they're able to test everything. My understanding is that we should have a round of DNA testing back sometime this month or the end of next month. Um, but again, it, it, this is one of those points where in order, you know, we were able to negotiate with David Dobbs and even with Matt Bingham, although he doesn't particularly care for me, uh, uh, to, to reopen the case and allow the DNA to be tested. Part of that was that Allison is not allowed to talk to Bob Ruff about it. So I don't know a lot of what's going on. I'm able to get little bits and pieces of it, but from what I've gathered from Allison, within the next month or so, I think we should have some results. Take your time, Mike. <laughs> Notice Mike wearing his true religion jeans. We don't go anywhere without our true religion jeans. Use our promo code TRUTH. Yeah, they're going to give you some sort of a discount. Hi. Hi. What's your name? Cynthia. Oh, Cynthia, where are you from? I'm from Charlotte. From Charlotte. Did you drive? Yes. Nice. That's not very far, is it? Well, far enough. Far enough. <laughs> so um, I have two questions. One is that um, in season one, the Adam Syed case, I hear is being reopened. Is that true? Yes. Okay. And then what do you mean by being re-looked at? I heard that it was uh, going to be appealed. Yeah, well, so where we're at with the Nons case is his, he had a PCR hearing in February 2016. July of that year, uh, the judge ordered the conviction to be vacated. The state then appealed that. That process took about 18 months. We just got the ruling from the higher court, from COSA, the Court of Special Appeals. They upheld the fact that his conviction is to re remain vacated. So his conviction is still set aside. They kind of flip-flopped the reasons but left it vacated. Uh, as of right now, the state, I believe, has 13 days left to decide if they're going to file an appeal to the next higher court 
in Maryland. They had two options where they could ask for it to be remanded back down to the lower court, or they could send it back up to the, the Maryland Court of Court of Special Appeals. No, that's the one. A higher court, the Maryland Supreme Court, I think. Um, so if they do that, then we could be in for another year or two years until we get another ruling on it. In the meantime, he could be eligible for bail. If they choose not to uh, appeal it even higher, then his conviction will officially be set aside, and then it's up to the state to decide if they want to take him back to trial again or to drop the charges and release him. And then what are we looking at for season four? For season six? I'm sorry. <laughs> you stopped listening after Jesse Elder. Uh, we, don't, <laughs> we, we don't actually know yet. So we get cases submitted to us all the time. You know, the, we kind of have the reputation for a lot of opposing viewpoints as we just think everybody's innocent. And that's not true. And, and, and Mike can attest to this. We are constantly looking at cases, digging into them, and determining... I'm not sure that this person is factually innocent, uh, or I'm pretty sure they're not actually innocent. So it's a tough screening process because everybody's innocent, right? So they all tell us that they're innocent. So we haven't been actively looking for cases until all of a sudden, you know, we get this development. It's like, man, we we could possibly have to pause the our season five case here in just a month or two. So we need to find another case. So we're still looking for submissions. Right now we've got one that, um, to be honest with you, I'm hoping it works out. It is a, the, the defendant is a female. It's a triple homicide. Um, but it's, I guess we can talk a little bit about the process for our selection. Number one, we won't take a case unless we believe that the person is likely actually innocent, that they were, they were wrongfully convicted. Because our major focus is on the victims. And so if you know, we're not looking for technicalities to get somebody's conviction overturned because that doesn't bring any justice for the victims. What we're looking for is they got the wrong person and we need to find the right person so that they can pay for what they did. So th there's a number of things we got to look at. Is the person actually innocent? Uh, unfortunately, one thing that's, that's... I don't want to say that we need a defendant that is somewhat likable, um, but to an extent, you know, so... We've had cases, I'll give you an example. We've had some cases submitted to us where the person was convicted of a murder and they didn't actually commit the murder. As we dig deeper, it was a, a drug uh, drug deal gone bad murder. And this person was one of the drug dealers but wasn't the one that actually pulled the trigger and the other person snitched on them. That for us, those are it's tough, and it's it's just the reality of it. It doesn't make a good case for us because it's going to be real hard for uh, you guys, the audience, to to really have a lot of sympathy for someone who was standing right there but maybe didn't pull the trigger. So, uh, and the other thing is, is there enough evidence available for us to dig any deeper? In this one case that we're talking about, this this female defendant with the triple homicide, uh, it's a it's a recent case. It was I think two two thousand seven. Mike, is that right? You know, 2007, um, so th there's a, a lot more. We have never done a case that's been that new. So there's a lot of evidence for us to be able to look at and go through. And also she has family members that have reached out to us that already have trial transcripts and a lot of those things because that's, it's, a, it's a huge expense. It's a lot of traveling, and it's a lot of time. You know, if we're lucky, we, can, we don't have to pay a dollar a page because that's the typical rate when we go to a clerk's office to get copies. Uh, of trans so for example Edward Eight's case there was 4,000 pages of transcript at a dollar a page so if we're lucky we can get them to let us take our little portable scanner in which is this little box it's really slick because it, it takes the scans and sends them to Dropbox for us it scans 20 pages at a time so there, there's been in the Smith County Texas clerk's office Mike and I have spent three days straight in there unbinding each volume and then sending 20 pages through and then keep another 20 to keep it going. And then one of them gets wrinkled up and you got to start the whole thing over. Um, so, so that matters. So those are a lot of things that go into our screening process. If you happen to know about a case, we really want to, you know, season five, the, the West Memphis three case is super complex, super interesting case. It's really, to be honest with you, super difficult for us to do cases like that because there's so many people that are ingrained in the innocent or guilty camp. And what it becomes is a lot of noise, a lot of fight. People get so emotionally. It's not just they're presenting fact and opposing viewpoint fact, but it's just 
just a lot of negativity and nastiness. And, and, and what we're trying to do is to spread truth, spread justice, spread hope and love is what we're trying to do. And this case doesn't, it, it's, it's a struggle for us. So we want to kind of go back to our roots with this next case and pick somebody that none of you have ever heard of and introduce you to somebody new. <laughs> Oh, I thought you were going to get the guy with the black cowboy hat, and then you got the guy with the red cowboy hat. There's only two cowboy hats in the room. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Kayla. Kayla? Kayla. Kayla. Where are you from? Not America. England. Thank you for traveling all the way here. Very, thank you so much. Uh, I heard the first part. Do I have an opinion who killed, who committed the murders? Um, that's a really good question. And, and to be 100% honest with you, I don't have an opinion on, on who killed him. So I, I did. So let me put it that way. After, you know, when we first started looking at the case, this started with, with us studying this case as we study many wrongful conviction cases to learn lessons and look for patterns and figure out how these wrongful convictions happen. Uh, and so, of course, this one was great because there's all these documentaries and there's books and there's all this out there. Uh, and, and I did come out with the opinion that a lot of people came out with based on what was presented in the documentaries um, that it was it was potentially one of the stepfathers. There was some evidence. As I've started to dig deeper, what I've found is that there's so many. You know, we're, we're doing. How many of you are going to come to our our presentation tomorrow morning on uh, tearing down the misconceptions? Awesome. I won't be there alone at eight forty five in the morning. <laughs> but but you know, obviously you guys are listeners. But but you'll see there's there's so much in this case that you think you know that you don't really know. So many things that were glossed over. Uh, the process of making a movie or a TV show. I don't know if you guys know this, but sometimes if you're on a TV show, they'll edit it so much that you can't tell anything that you said. <laughs> um, but so, I, I'm finding that a lot of things, I'm finding that a lot of things that I thought I knew, I don't really know. So I, I, I wouldn't even say that I have a prime suspect. I have uh, what I believe is a, a good profile of who the unsub might be. But let's look, for example, what nobody's ever really looked into. When we traced the steps of the Forgotten Three, of Stevie, Michael, and Christopher, and really looked into all the door-to-door -door notes and really looked at where they were traveling and when and found out that they actually weren't together for most of the afternoon. And we also find out that they came in contact with several people. You know, I, I've maintained that there's no possibility that someone was laying in wait in those woods for these boys because no one could have known that they were ever going to go there. So I believe that whoever, whoever killed them followed them into the woods. Well, we have Michael Moore had an interaction with, um, I believe the door-to-door -door note, door -door note read uh, that, that he was seen calling two black guys' names in, a, in, a, in somebody's yard. Uh, there was also, don't forget about the egging of a house that happened right by the crime scene. So there's a lot of things there. Uh, there's the Jesse Miss Kelly um, had an interaction with a guy named Tracy Laxton, who was hiding in the woods, asking little kids to come down and drink with him. So there's so many avenues that still need to be explored that I'm not prepared to even say that I have an opinion yet on who might have committed the murders. And, and with that being said, I want to point out um, that, as most of you probably know, tomorrow 
after, tomorrow is the 25-year anniversary of the murders of Stevie, Michael, and Christopher. And guys like um, Terry Hobbs and John Mark Byers that, that have been kind of drugged through the mud as suspects in this, you know, we're going to investigate everybody thoroughly, but let's remember tomorrow that as of right now, these are, these are innocent men and they lost a child. Jolyn? Julie. Julie. Julie from Gainesville. I have a comment and a question. The comment is I loved your reaction on the phone when you heard the news about Ed Aids. That was great. Me crying and right. mumbling, right? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> speaking of the West Memphis Three case, I was wondering if you realized what a hot mess you had stepped into when <laughs> I did. She's giving it back to me. I, I kind of knew what was coming. I tried to warn Mike and Shane, uh, and I think you've been a little surprised. Have you? Can you want to turn that on? Yeah. Um, you, if you, how, what has your been reaction been to? I mean, you, you gave us a fair warning, and I think uh, with what we do, we've learned pretty quickly to push aside negativity um, and some of the bad stuff out there on social media, uh, because I think at the end of the day, we're trying to do the right thing. And, and Mike is much better at ignoring that shit than I am. <laughs> I do pretty good. I do pretty good about just letting stuff go. Uh, but but I, if anybody that follows me, on, especially Twitter, I get nasty on Twitter sometimes. Uh, but I, I will occasionally engage. But it's hard. You know, so we, we knew, I, I warned them because we went through with Anand Syed's case. This one we knew was going to be worse because there's 25 years of innocent and guilty camps built. And it's not just innocent or guilty. It's guilty, innocent, and he did it, innocent, and he did it, innocent, and they did it. There's all these different camps. So um, it, it's a little worse worse than expected. But um, to be honest with you, i got to hand it. Mike really keeps me centered and, and reminds me sometimes to just ignore it and get back to work. He's actually the mature one. You'd be surprised. <laughs> Cleveland. Hi, Becky from Cleveland. Um, I have two questions. Um, first, I want to say congratulations on Ed. Thank you. Congratulations, all of you, on Ed. So Jesse's actually having a little bit of a hard time right now. Um, he went through. I, I don't know all the details because I haven't been able to speak with Jesse. He had some conflict with his cellmate. Um, and, and he ended up uh, moving cells, but then right after that, the prison went on lockdown. Um, so, and I, I, I'm in, in pretty co constant communication with his wife, Patricia, and she said he's struggling. Um, you know, he's, 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 because, and this happens, it happened with Ed too, when we move, once we move on on the podcast to the next case, there's always that core of people that really get attached to um, each person. You know, as, as, as Jennifer mentioned, she's gotten really close with. Um, Ed, um, Kathy McElhaney right here is one of our listeners who um, has just been almost a weekly or daily pen pal with Jesse. And that means so much to them. But and it's like all the, like, kind of the hype dies down and then it's the waiting game of waiting for DNA testing and stuff. So uh, Jesse's doing okay. He's struggling a little bit. It, it, would, it would make his day if anybody wrote him a letter. I, I know that. Um, as far as his case, he's in kind of about the same boat as Ed. They, they, they both have DNA testing in progress. But it was sent. Both of their uh, the evidence was sent to two different labs. So Jesse's was actually sent before Ed, but that lab had a longer wait, and then Ed's was sent after to a different lab. Um, so um, by midsummer, I hope that we have some some conclusive answers. Um, in Jesse's case, though, I, I'm I'm very confident in this case because of the fact that we have the conviction integrity unit working on his case. I believe, I know, as I'll say, I know for a matter, as a matter of fact, that we have convinced them of Jesse's innocence. So they are now actively searching for anything to convict, to, to vacate his conviction because they know that he's innocent. The other question is on the West Memphis Three case. So far, to this point, what surprised you the most? Uh, geez, every day something's surprised me. But to, to, I'll go through a couple because one of them that was the, the biggest surprise to me was after watching the documentaries and, and watching and reading The Devil's Knot and reading The Blood of Innocence and all these, all the different media that's out there on the case, 
I was shocked when I started doing the study of victimology and found out that everything that I thought I knew about where the boys were at that afternoon and what they were doing was completely wrong. I mean, it just couldn't be more wrong. The f- I always so I was I, I that was my first big surprise was to find out that the three boys weren't just happily playing together all afternoon. That it was a very different circumstance. Damien's alibi was another one that is surprised me, and that's still a controversial issue. I mean, I'm, I'm not here to say that we know 100 percent that he has an alibi, but uh, that we know where he was at. But certainly, it is stronger than a lot that I've seen, um, and, and I was shocked because I was always kind of told that he didn't really have an alibi and, and they weren't wrong in saying that when, when Damien said I don't really know where I was or he said he was here and then he changed it well maybe I was here and then changes to there but as we always do we're looking for the periphery we're looking for you know because if anybody's going to lie it's going to be the def- the suspect we're looking for the on the periphery of people maybe not directly connected and for things that we can corroborate and as you heard for those of you that heard it on the investigation on the podcast he's got a lot stronger alibi than I thought and that was pretty surprising to me Hi, I'm Suzanne from Bend, Oregon. Hi, Suzanne. Hi. Um, so two questions. One, uh, do you believe you know who killed Elmora Griffin and also who killed Hay? And do you think Don and his mom are married right now? Everything going on? Man, you <laughs> made that question harder to answer with the last bit of that. Uh, um, I was, so I'll start with, with Elnora Griffin, season two. I I do. I, I believe that I know who killed her. I, I believe that it was more than one person involved uh, without getting into it. And, and, yeah. yeah, perhaps a male and female. <laughs> to be honest, that is the case that I am so far the most proud of, not just for me, but for all of us working together. That is when we really dug into and all of us learned together how this crowdsourcing thing works and how we can all become cogs in the wheel of this machine that is seeking justice. And to take that investigation from, the, from nothing to where we have a clear picture of what the most likely outcome is. And I'm, I'm really hoping that we, we get some conclusive answers with the DNA testing. And also, I, I can report this because I harassed them. And, and you guys may be aware of this guy that I work with every once in a while. You guys ever heard of a guy named Jim Clementi? <laughs> Jim, as you know, has been a huge asset to our work on the air, but what you guys may not realize is he's also been a huge asset off the air. You know, Jim, Jim is my mentor, I would say. I mean, he teaches me a lot. He also makes a lot of connections for us. Um, and in, in this case, there were fingerprints. So for those of you that aren't particularly familiar with our Season 2 case, there was a, during the commission of this murder, there was an old wall phone ripped off the wall carried across the house and laid on the floor in the bedroom where the, where the attack occurred. So killer touched the phone, right? Obviously. There's a big, fat-ass thumbprint right there <laughs> on the side of the phone. And in 1993, there was no such thing as APHIS. So all they did was compared it against Ed Eights. They compared it against the victim. And they even compared it against her boyfriend, and it didn't match any of the three. You know who I think was li- the one who likely pulled that, that phone off the wall and uh, the fingerprints were lost. They, you know, Matt, Matt Bingham checked in it. They knew it. they went to the FBI lab. They were lost. So I called up my buddy Jim Clementi and said, hey, do you still know some people at the FBI? Jim made connection after connection after connection until I was able to get in touch with the person that physically went through boxes and boxes and boxes and found the fingerprint card. <laughs> I don't know what's what's exactly being done with that at the moment because I'm not allowed to know, but I know that it is going to be run through APHIS. And I also know that the particular person who I think belongs to that fingerprint is not in APHIS, so it may require a little bit of detective work. So, so if that fingerprint gets run through APHIS and it comes back with zero, with nothing, then I think we have a very strong potential of solving the case with the thumbprint. What was the other one? Pardon me? <laughs> Don, huh. Um, I can't speak to if anybody's worried or anything. I, 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 I wouldn't have any way of knowing that. I think that I would, I, I would say that 
there are particular people connected to some of our cases based on the work that we've we've been doing, all of us together, that ought to be pretty damn scared right now. <laughs> With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Raven, and I'm also from Nashville. I got lucky as well. Awesome. Nice to meet you, Raven. Nice to meet you. Um... My question is, I'm in the Facebook group, and there are some posters who, after for a while, I just thought they were kind of like dangerous and like just sorry argument. Then it feels like they're talking in circles where no matter how much evidence or whatever I provide for a certain point, they have some technicality that it gets off and it drives me insane. Mm-hmm. So my question is, do you think there are moles in the group who are related to the case who are in Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And my other question was, do you think that I'm talking to you more in the group under a secret? I, I I don't know. I, uh, to be honest with you, now and I don't want to. I want I don't want to come across as though I'm saying anybody that has an opposing viewpoint or thinks the West Memphis Three are guilty, are some kind of troll or have some kind of hidden agenda. There are people that that have strong counterpoints in cases, but there are. I I have a really hard time understanding the mentality of the amount of energy and effort people put into spreading hate. About this case, and, and just and just arguing, arguing, arguing. And, and so when I kind of try to like profile certain people, you know, when you look and you can, you you know when there's a fake profile, there's many of them on there, and you wonder who they are and what their motivation is. But I, I think that there are are several. I, I I guess it would be a mole in the group. There, are, I think there are definitely people in the group that are connected to the case for sure. As far as Todd and Data Moore, I I don't know because because I don't I don't think so to be honest with you because I know that they are active. In other groups under their real names, and they're not, they don't, they haven't tried to hide their names or anything like that. Hi there, my name is Stephanie. I'm from Springfield, Illinois. Nice to meet you, Stephanie. Me too. This is a real moment because I'm usually driving while I listen to you. <laughs> 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 um, I will let you know, I've been listening since Zero Dynasty, episode one. Well, thank you. Okay. Right. right, and now you're a podcaster. Mm-hmm. How do you feel or how do you think that the podcast, the True Crime podcast, is changing our social justice, or our uh, criminal justice system, and what do you hope that it will do for the future? It's a great question. For starters, I would love to have police academies and detective academies and even law school when, when people are training to be defense attorneys and prosecutors, I would love to hear them say, do your job like some podcaster is going to talk about it in front of millions of people. <laughs> because it's all about transparency, and that's what we're doing. And that's why there's, you know, you guys have heard the evolution of Allison Clayton, right? And can we have a hand for Allison Clayton of the Innocence Project of Texas? When we, and, my, and, my, and Mike is witness, and when we first started working with her, Michael Ware assigned her to this case, and he's like, you're going to be working with a podcaster. And she was like, <laughs> and, then, and then we started working together, and she was very much hesitant. You know, lawyers are trained not to speak to the media, and went from just being really irritated that she was saddled with a podcaster and all of his crazy listeners to having her, her and her boss begging us to take more of their cases. Uh, and it's not just us. Look at what Undisclosed is doing. Uh, can we have a hand for Undisclosed? <laughs> you know, Rabia and Susan and Colin have innocence clinics from around the country asking them for help. So we're making a change where we're exposing the corruption that's out there. Now, unfortunately, a lot of our work is all about correcting things that happened in the past, but I hope that the overall effect is that it makes these people aware in the future. Hey, Mike, when you edit that, if you could bring the, when I stop talking and when they start clapping a little closer together. Hello, my name's 
Sheila Nice to meet you, Sheila. Thanks for coming. Good question, and unfortunately, the way podcasts work is that interview on Sunday was recorded yesterday, so <laughs> I won't be able to ask him that, but Tim's here, so for you guys, Tim Clementi is here, so you guys can, can talk. I actually was hoping to get him on stage with us right now, but he wasn't able to do it. He had other, uh, other engagements. But yeah, the, the the UK has made leaps and bounds in in analyzing statements and doing statement evaluations and in, in teaching a completely different way to interview. As I've said many before, you know, we we say read like it's a four letter word. Wait for it. <laughs> it, it, it this is the best joke I had all day. Uh, uh, it is, in fact, a four-letter word, but not that kind of four-letter word. Uh, like, it's a really bad thing. So here's the, here's the thing with read. The read technique becomes a very dangerous tool. And the reason is that it is very effective. Uh, and so, so what Tim was talking about was all read technique, and that is what, that's what I was taught. That's what he was taught. The, the problem, if anybody, does anybody remember when I interviewed Jim Trainum a couple of years ago? who actually, using the read technique, accidentally got a false confession, which he's worked to try to correct after that. So it's effective at bringing people's guards down. It's effective to get them to open up and start talking. It's effective for getting in a confession. But what Jim's, uh, Jim Trainum said was what they're not teaching are the side effects. He gave a great analogy. It's like giving a doctor a prescription pad without teaching him any of the side effects of the drugs that they have. For that reason... I would love to see it done away with and, and new interrogation techniques being taught. And I think that we should have an evaluation system, like as they do in the UK, for those of you who aren't aware, aware of it, it's actually like a checklist. If you go in and interview someone and they confess, there's a next step where they have to evaluate the interview, see where the information comes from, did they, they implant the information, did they make suggestions uh, to the person that they were interviewing where that information came from, and if it doesn't meet the standard, it's thrown out. It doesn't count. In our system, the prosecutor is the gatekeeper, which, in, in my opinion, is it's... I, I don't want to... Let me. I'm going to say this as a little sidebar. It has nothing to do with your question. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> I sat on a jury Tuesday, uh, which I don't know if any of you that heard the Friday follow-up today know that, and that was a good prosecutor, but it's still a messed-up system. So the prosecutor asked me about my work on wrongful convictions, and I assumed he was going to boot me off. That's what usually happens. And, and he allowed me to stay on that jury. And so what I'm saying is there are good prosecutors out there. But when it, came town, when it came time for the trial, we still have an adversarial system where it's all about winning and losing. And he went up there and ended up securing a conviction against what I believe was an innocent woman. So having that guy that's, all, that's in that adversarial situation in the courtroom, being the gatekeeper for what evidence comes in, I think is a bad system. I wish that we would go to what the UK has. Hello, I'm Alyssa from Texas. Hi, Alyssa from Texas. Thanks for traveling. Uh, what is the latest on George Powell in this case? We're still waiting a ruling for that one. So George Powell was our, our, our mini season, season four. They went through, uh, the evidence, in my opinion, is overwhelming that he is clearly factually and actually innocent. So we're just waiting on a ruling for that. I know I've spoken with Michael Ware about it since the hearings, and he's very confident. But as he said, it's in the American criminal justice system. Who knows? But hope we should know about that very soon. I mean, we have a lot going on. We could, in the, By the end of this year, we could see a whole bunch of people walk out of prison because of the work that you all are doing. <laughs> Do yeah, that's fine. Just let. <laughs> uh, Hi, Shelly. The best moment's easy. 
because I, I mean, to, to getting that call, as you guys all know, of all the cases, Ed and I got very, very, very close, and we continue to be. So this became, and I think you heard as season two progressed, me sounding super pissed. That's that was legitimate because you know as 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 he this became less about this case and it became about what did you do to my friend, and and so it's tear it'll tear me up now if I don't be careful. <laughs> Getting the call that he was going home, hands down the best moment uh, since we've been doing this. The Mulligans, I. I'd, I'd like a mulligan at least once a week. Uh, so for, as, as some of you might know, on our, our Patreon subscribers get a video of the uncut recording of the Friday follow-up, and they see what an idiot I really am. And, and, and it also shows how much work Mike does, uh, because I mess up a lot. But in the season three case, in Jesse Eldridge's case, in the murder of Kiao Gove, we had some leads that led us down to a, all the way down to a certain person that... Uh, myself and several people that were working with me, we were we were pretty convinced that this person was either involved in the murder or knew who it was. Now, I was careful never to put this person's name out there because I, I wanted to make sure that we, as always, corroborate anything and find some substantial evidence before we start doing that. But if I had anything to do over again, I would have been even more careful because it was easy enough from what I said for people to track him down on on Facebook, um, it worked out in the end. I was able to finally make contact with him and and do he we did long a long interview with him. Turned out to be not not only was he not involved, but turned out to be a, a wonderful asset and a, and a and a great guy that that helped us make a lot of connections. Uh, and but that was one of those moments where I thought it's like man you. You pulled the trigger too fast on that. You should have you should have waited before you did that because that luckily that worked out. But that that, that had the potential to cause some damage. Wait, who are you? Oh, I'm Emily. Emily. My beautiful sister Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie and Emily. Wow, thanks for coming. Awesome. See my wife. She does a great Tennessee accent. Becky does when she's here. Uh, tonight at 8 o'clock at the Fuse Bar, by the way, there's going to be a whole bunch of us, True Crime Garage guys, myself, Generation Y. All of us are going to be down there. And Becky will have two drinks and start talking with a southern accent, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I Me too. Ed's case. Hundred percent. I mean, I lose sleep over Ed's case now. Still, yeah. uh, you know, something will come in. I'll, I'll get some information. I hate that I have to be kind of in the dark with a lot of things that's happening. I still go through his case file often, you know, even when I'm, you know, we're four seasons past that. Not only because of my connection with Ed, but the case, it's just, to me, it is so obvious who the prime suspect should have been, should be. And it's so frustrating that, that it was missed and how it was missed that it, what, what happens to me is I'll lay down in bed at night and, and have... You know, well, what if we could do this? What if I could talk to this person? How can I get in touch with this person and try to interview them? I'll start going through an interview and interrogation process in my brain until 3 o'clock in the morning because I can't shut it off. So definitely Ed's case sticks with me all the time. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Hi, Jelaine from Bureau Beach, Florida. Hi, Jelaine. Jelaine, yeah. Nice to meet you. Um, don't throw daggers, guys. I've never listened to the podcast. <laughs> Now, ideally starting at season one is where I should begin to listen to. Which season or episode do you want me to think about? Which one do you want me to listen to to make me think? Good, that's a good question. Um, it's a hard question. As we've gone from season one to where we're at now in season five, a lot of things have happened. Um, so each season obviously is a completely different case. I believe they're all extremely interesting, and I believe that they will draw passion out of anyone that listens to them. There's also the production difference, you know, where 
Season one is literally me on a $20 microphone in my basement just, like, talking, right? As to where we're at now, where we have Mike doing the editing, and I wish Shane's actually from Nashville, and I'm hoping at some point he's going to be here, but uh, can we get a hand for Shane Yoder from PutThemInTheSong.com? So we now have this, uh, not only Mike as the producer, we have Shane that, that writes, composes, scores music, does our sound design, and I, th- I think these guys make it sound pretty, pretty kick-ass, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big difference there. But it's, it's, man, I don't know if I could pick one. Again I, again, I would point towards Ed's, but they're all so important. I think that season one case, if you've never, have you listened to Serial? The Serial, okay. Uh, have you listened to Undisclosed or any of the follow-up podcasts about that? Okay, if you don't mind shitty production, listen to season one because that'll blow your mind. Hi, I'm Kelly from Lawrence, Kansas. I, um, first of all, I wanted to say, um, I, you said you get a little irritated on Twitter sometimes, but on Facebook, which is primarily where I see you, mm-hmm. um, I think you handle yourself very well. Um, I see a lot of people kind of trying to poke at you. Mm-hmm. And you're very and Sometimes, every once in a while. It is. Um, not necessarily for the podcast, uh, because in an open case, like there's a lot of things that can't be shared. But I, I actually have had, a couple of years ago, somebody that reached out to me that was in that situation. They presented, you know, they were awaiting a trial, and they're like, these people are railroading me. And without doing anything on the podcast, I was... So all of you make us matter, okay? And what I mean by that is... I was able to actually reach out. I had to be in a firefighter, and, and it was a Michigan case for so many years in Michigan. I was a state instructor. I have a lot of connections with police and with law enforcement and in the fire department. Uh, I was able to reach all the way out and actually speak with the the chief in that in that case and talk to them about. Look, we're thinking about taking this case. This is what he's presented to me, and we had a few back and forth. Didn't really, you know, and and we kind of told him that just know that we're watching and. If this goes the way it looks like it's going, then then we're probably going to end up talking about it on the podcast in a non-threatening, just very very friendly way. And then next thing we know, the guy reached out and said they dropped the charges. So, and and I can't say that that's necessarily a hundred percent because of, of our conversations and the in the files that we shared back and forth. But I believe that it makes a difference. But again, we couldn't really do it on the podcast. But we do get that every once in a while, somebody will reach out and say, "Hey, can you help me?" Uh, I've got this going on. There was only the one instant we were ever able to actually intervene and maybe... Well, there was always, there was uh, um, Abby, if you guys remember Abby, that was the case. Uh, where that was pre-trial, we were able to intervene there. Speaking of which, do you guys remember that we put together a GoFundMe? This just happened, um, and there's nothing to do with your question. <laughs> uh, but in that, in Abby's case, we, we put together a GoFundMe to help the, the state police train in a de-escalation class. And it was going to cost like $9,000. We put it up. We raised about $2,000. Uh, we had just raised five grand for Abby to pay for his attorney. And it kind of stalled out, and we haven't really known what to do with it. I've been in contact with the lieutenant at the state police post quite a bit. Her name's Mindy Logan. She reached out to me a couple of months ago and said, hey, I've got a great idea. They're actually teaching a train-the-trainer for that class. Uh, and it costs, it's $1,000 a person. I want to send two of our officers to the train the trainer so then they can come back for free and teach these de-escalation techniques to our entire department. And so we just wrote the check on Tuesday this week. So that was that that, that those donations did finally make an impact and instead of just training, you know, 15 people, we now have officers in the state police of Michigan for the first time that are educated and able to train all of the Michigan state police officers in the de-escalation. got time for maybe two more, depending on how long-winded I am. <laughs> I just want to hold the mic, not this mic, that mic. 
This one, yeah. Well, starting season two, I did because so you know this all again started as a hobby, and we're covering the serial case, right? And so you know all of you that listen to serial just are looking for more, 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 more. So my audience began building just for people that were looking for anything to do with serial, and because people were so emotionally attached to Adnan and the story, and, and we built up this kind of relationship and this movement with uh, you know then Serial Dynasty becoming Truth and Justice, but I was terrified to go into start season two and start a brand new case that no one's ever heard of and I definitely had a lot of why the hell would people keep listening to me who am I I'm starting this new case and I was I was stunned that our audience not only stayed but grew as we moved on to other cases thank you thank you one more I'm Victoria Victoria Nice to meet you, Victoria. Thanks for traveling all the way across the pond. So, in the West Memphis Three, obviously they've already been, like you said, they've been released. They really can't go back to prison because they can't for double jeopardy. That's why this really isn't about them. The, the effect it would have is, is I, I think I understood you right. You're asking, is there someone else that if it, I'll say this, as I've said, I don't know who the suspect might be. If there are any suspects, we're still getting there. If we were able to build a case to be able to prove who actually murdered Stevie, Michael, and Christopher, and we could present that case to the prosecutors and they reopen, then they could file charges against whoever is identified and then the prosecutor could drop the charges against the three who were convicted that would give them a full exoneration and give them their life back. And I think it, on that, I know you guys, what time is it, Jennifer? One fifty-six. Okay, we got one more. We'll do one more. Thank you. That's a good question. Hi, um, I'm Shane from Chicago. Uh, my question is, have you seen Nancy as a I I have not <laughs> I haven't seen Nancy that maybe an so here's the thing that, that <laughs> Nancy and I got along just fine like during the rec- the tape and that's what really irritated me about it was during the taping we were at each other and they, they cut it all out of course every single point that counterpoint that they had but you know, we were at each other's throats during the taping. They go to commercial break, and she's like, "Oh, Bob, that was great. All right, let's let's keep that up in the next." <laughs> so I don't know how much of that had to do with her or her producers, but uh, after the email that I sent the producers, it'll be awkward. <laughs> and on that note, thank you all for coming. All right, I hope all of you enjoyed that Q&A session from CrimeCon 2018. I know that Mike and I had a lot of fun, and hopefully this was a nice little break from the West Memphis 3 case for a week. Let us all cleanse our palates before we dig right back into Jesse Miss Kelly's confessions next week on Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Michael Bussing is your executive producer, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. I want to thank Amanda Meyer of Willow Photo and Designs for designing and creating our Friday follow-up logo. And a special thanks to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. And also a big thank you to our transcription team, Sarah Mueller, Anna Dindorf, Britta Bliss, and Stephanie McConnell. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. 
To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $1 a month. And we also have reward levels on the Patreon page that include access to the behind-the-scenes videos of the taping of our Friday follow-up episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. But the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can follow along on Twitter at truthjusticepod. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on the case. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice.